Uh, I want to read from you, and I'm going to read snippets of this throughout the sermon. This is a, was a column that David Brooks wrote uh, in the New York Times this past week. Um, so, so here we go. Bob Hall was a rancher. In 1936, in the midst of the Depression, he was suffering from a cancer that was eating the flesh on the side of his face. His ranch had dwindled to nearly nothing, and weeks after bankers took the last of his livestock, Hall died, leaving his family deeply in debt. His sons pleaded with anybody they could find to make a loan and save the family ranch. No one would do it. Finally, in desperation, they went to their neighbor, Buzz Newton, who was known for his miserliness, and asked him to co-sign a loan. I always thought so much of your dad. He was the most generous man I have known, Newton answered. Yes, I'll co-sign the note. Uh, Bob Hall's grandson drew out this lesson in his book, The Land of Strangers, noting, The truth is, relationships are the most valuable and value-creating resource of any society. They are lifelines to survive, grow, and thrive. And then Brooks writes, There's a mountain of evidence suggesting that the quality of our relationships has been in steady decline for decades. In the 1980s, 20% of Americans said they were often lonely. Now it's 40%. Suicide rates are now at a 30-year high. Depression rates have increased tenfold since 1960, which is not only a result of greater reporting. Most children born to mothers under 30 are born outside of marriage. There's been a steady 30-year decline in American satisfaction with the peer-to-peer relationships at work. A former Surgeon General summarized his experience as a doctor this way, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease, was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. Loneliness. Um, we are, are living in the midst of an, an epidemic of loneliness. And that's something that affects us, and so we have to, to struggle through that and, and deal with that ourselves. But that's also an amazing opportunity, I think, for us as a church body. Because the church can offer true community. The church can offer a community where you can be honest about your struggles, honest about your heartaches, uh, honest about your brokenness, uh, honest about your shortcomings. And the church is a place where you can actually find healing in these areas. Uh, we've been talking the last two weeks about the mission of the church and about outreach and about evangelism and about hospitality. And I think uh, in our culture, in our lonely culture, one of the most evangelistic things we can do is to develop healthy biblical community in our church. So that's what we're going to think about this morning. I want to read from several texts for us. You can follow along with me uh, in your bulletins. This is God's Word in the first text. It's taken from 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day 
of His visitation. And then from 1 Peter 4, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's various very, excuse me, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. From Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, help us as, as we think about biblical uh, community this morning. Uh, I, I pray that in hearing this, this would be something that, that we would want to strive for and that you would really uh, shape in us uh, as a church body. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, five things I want to talk about this morning. Number one is community is difficult. Community is difficult. Secondly, we're made for community. Thirdly, God is restoring community. Fourthly, we're going to talk about some practicalities of community. And then five, fively. Fifthly, we're going to talk about how the, the gospel informs our community. So first of all, community is difficult. Why, why is community so difficult? Why are relationships so difficult? Well, one reason the community and relationships are difficult is simply because of our sin that we, we talked about in the Confession of Faith this morning. Uh, sin is, if you think about it, really is just selfishness. Uh, whenever we sin, we're saying, God, you don't matter. Other people, you don't matter. The only thing that really matters is what I want right now. And so when we steal or murder or commit adultery or lie or, or whatever it is that we do, all of those things are damaging not just to us, but they're damaging to community. They're damaging to the relationships that, that we are in. Our solitary sins even, that we think, well, that's, that doesn't affect anybody else. This just affects me. All of our sins affect the people around us. We, we are networked and connected to tons of people. And the effects of our sin ripple out from us and have damaging effects um, toward community. Second thing that makes community difficult, sin makes it difficult. Uh, one of the other things that can work against community are personalities. And, and what I mean by that is this. There are obviously, we all have personalities. There are strengths in them. There are weaknesses. Some parts about them work toward community. Some work against community. Um, but here's where I'm going with this. Uh, introverts, you can get drained by too much people time, right? And so the tendency you have to fight is to say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm done with people and I'm just going to go exist in hermit mode and I'm not going to worry about everybody around me and avoid community. But the reality is that, that you do need community too. And the other reality is, is that you're actually better than the extroverts a lot of times at loving people deeply once you get past that initial get-to-know-you stage. And so you have to remind yourself sometimes, yeah, this is hard for me and draining for me at times, but I'm actually called into community, and I can't be constantly running away from community. 
Uh, extroverts, you get energized by being around people, and you draw. You know, you're glad to be around a lot of people, but it's easy for it to just be a social event and to just hop from person to person. And like, yeah, I've talked to all these people, but I've, have I gone deep with any of them? Have I gone beyond kind of the service? Do I do I really have community with people, or just do I, do I just know a lot of people and talk to a lot of people? Uh, and so there are these things in our personality can actually work against deeply knowing other people. And we kind of have to wrestle through that ourselves and, and figure out what, is it, what does it look like for me to practice community well, given who I am and how God has designed me. Uh, a third thing that can work against community is just our American individualism. And I, and I don't think I need to flesh that out a whole lot other than to say we've, we've sort of made individual choice supreme in our culture and if you just think about that, that in itself works against community. Uh, a fourth thing, fear works against community. Fear of the, you know, does it feel safe sometimes? Uh, it, it feels awkward to start conversations. And it'd be much easier to just retreat to, to, to whatever, to retreat to the internet or my phone. And so the fear of the awkward keeps us from community. Fifthly, uh, technology can keep us from community. I want to ramble about this for a minute. Um, think about how we've moved from gathering on the, on the front porch, in the front yard, gathering with neighbors to eat together, to make music together, to tell stories to one another, to we like the front porch has been replaced with back porches, and we pull into our garages and we close the doors and our stories come from a little box or from a little screen and, and we're all like separately in our homes looking at separate little boxes and separate little screens. And so, so all of that can work against community. Think about even how television is now. You know, it used to be, and this is not like reminiscing about the good old days, uh, but, but like there were three networks, right? And so there was a lot that stunk about that. There's not a lot to choose from. But at least when you went to work, there was like a, people were watching the same shows. And there was a sense of, oh, yeah, did you see? Yeah, I watched that. There's you got a one in three chance if you're watching television, okay? Um, so, like, the last episode of MASH, for those who remember that, nothing's ever going to pass that. That's forever going to be number one because we just don't watch the same things together anymore. And think about how that's changed. Think about how radio has changed. Uh, where there were a few channels to listen to, or you go to the record store, and yeah, there's a, there's a few records, but we're all kind of browsing the same section. Now you go on iTunes or Spotify, and there's like a million groups, and we're all listening separately to our own little thing. We were it was interesting walking around college campuses, and we were touring with Will. We were like, I think two out of every three people at least has earbuds in right now. Like we're all in our own little worlds. Um, our, our phones connect us, yeah, but, but they also disconnect us as, as well. When we're at dinner and we're constantly checking our phones, it makes it really hard to be present with the people that we're actually physically with at that time. And that, that fragments our conversation. Uh, studies have shown that just having a phone on the table changes what we talk about. Uh, it, it, it actually prevents us from going deep in our conversation because if you constantly are thinking, I may be interrupted or I may need to check this, your conversation is going to tend to stay at a very 
uh, surfacey level. Studies have shown that, that having a phone on the table actually blocks empathetic conversation. Now, in light of that, listen to what Sherry Turkle writes. It's not surprising that in the past 20 years, we've seen a 40% decline in the markers for empathy among college students, most of it in the past 10 years. Then she says, why do we spend so much time messaging each other if we end up feeling less connected to each other? In the short term, online communication makes us feel more in charge of our time and self-presentation. And I I think that's important. I want to be in charge of my time. I don't want to be inconvenienced by you. And I want to guard carefully the way I present myself. If we text rather than talk, we can have each other in amounts we can control. Alright, like if I call you, I might get stuck talking on the phone to you. Alright, but if I text you, then I can kind of, I can stick you in my pocket for the rest of the day if I don't want to deal with you right now. And texting and email and posting let us present the self we want to be. We can edit and retouch. But human relationships are rich, messy, and demanding. When we clean them up with technology, we move from conversation to the efficiency of connection I fear we forget the difference. And then uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, don't all these little tweets, these little sips of online connection add up to one big gulp of real conversation? And he's saying there, no, it, it, it doesn't really add up to real conversation. So our sin works against community. Our personalities can work against community. Uh, Our fears work against community. American individualism works against community. Our technology, as much as we love it, can also work against community. But the reality is, this is the second point, we're made for community. We're made for community. Um, It's central to who you are as a Christian. In fact, it's central to who you you and I are as human beings. Um, People are designed... In the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has never been a solitary God. God has never been a lonely God. And because we're designed in the image of this relational God, we are also designed for relationships, uh, relationships with Him and relationships with other people. And so one of the reasons sin is so damaging is that it, it destroys relationships. And when we withdraw from community or we don't work on community or when uh, our technology isolates us, it's actually damaging to who we are as human beings. Um, Loneliness is such a big deal that Great Britain has actually created a minister of loneliness. And, And that's not like a preacher they appointed. That would be like... Secretary, it's like Secretary of Defense over here. Like this, I'm the Secretary of Loneliness. All right, now wouldn't that, what would you do if that was your job? I'm just going to go talk to people because they're lonely and I'm going to help. Um, but but they, like it's, they've seen it's like an epidemic, so they've created a minister of loneliness. Listen to David Brooks again. Teenagers are spending more time alone with their digital screens, and the greater the screen time, the greater the unhappiness. Eighth graders who are heavy users of social media are 27% more likely to be depressed. And then he says, the big issue surrounding Facebook is not privacy. 
is that Facebook and other social media companies are feeding this epidemic of loneliness and social isolation. It's not only that heavy social media users are sadder, it's not only that, excuse me, it's not only that online life seems to heighten painful comparisons and both inflate and threaten the ego, it's that heavy internet users are much less likely to have contact with their next door neighbors to exchange favors and extend care. There's something big happening to the social structure of neighborhoods. The British anthropologist Robin Dunbar observed that human societies exist on three levels. The clan, your family and close friends, the village, your local community, and the tribe, your larger group. In America today, you would say that the clans have been polarized, the villages have been decimated, and the tribes have become weaponized. We're, we're made for community. And so when community fails, when we don't have community, it leaves us lonely and, and, and more tribal and, and more divided and, and, and angry. But there's good news. The good news is that God is about restoring community. God is restoring community. What's the Bible about? What's the Great Commission about? It's about God redeeming people. About God bringing people back into a relationship with Him and bringing us back into relationships with other people and showing us how to relate with other people, restoring our ability to relate with other people. I'm not going to go back and read it again, but if you look at 1 Peter 2, but go back and look at that and look at all the people language in that text. It's, it's all about us, not just about me individually. Look at the commands of chapter 4 in 1 Peter. None of those are carried out in isolation. All those are carried out in community. And so the Bible pushes you to think about yourself actually in terms of the network of relationships you have with other people. Uh, Here's how Tim Chester put it. By becoming a Christian, I belong to God and I belong to my brothers and sisters. It's not that I belong to God and then make a decision to join a local church. My being in Christ means being in Christ with those others who are in Christ. This is my identity. This is our identity. All right. Let's talk about some particulars of community. Let's kind of get get real and try to get practical for a minute. Because even if you like are tracking with me so far, uh, and he's like, okay, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying so far. Even, even if you do, all of this community stuff, it's real easy for this to be theoretical and for it to be very superficial. Uh, even with community groups, which we have here at Grace, some of us dread community groups because we think, or the thought of, of being a community group, because we think there's just one more thing that I've got to figure out how to fit to my schedule, and my schedule is just... Like, I have no room for it already. Um, it, it's just one more thing we juggle, which is, which is how we tend to think about things, right? That's how I, I tend to think about myself. I'm Justin Kendrick in isolation, juggling family and work and relationship and friendships and hobbies and social activities and church activities and PTA meetings or homeschool meetings and baseball and time in the gym and community group and I'm just overwhelmed and so I, I think I'm just going to go be a hermit now and watch Netflix because that's just like I, that's just all of this stuff I don't, I don't need more stuff 
to do. So let me, let me suggest a little slightly different way of, of thinking about this for a minute. Instead of thinking of yourself in the middle juggling all these responsibilities, replace that picture of you in the middle with a picture of us in the middle. Instead of just thinking about me, think about us in community. Uh, Tim Chester again, church is not another ball for me to juggle, but that which defines who I am and gives Christ-like shape to my life. Church is not another ball for me to juggle, but part of what defines who I am. Now, here's how he illustrates that with a story of of a couple named Bob and Mary. He says, imagine a young couple, Bob and Mary, who are involved in a local congregation. Mary gives birth to twins. Bob and Mary are now facing the prospect of trying to cope with babies who constantly need feeding and changing. In the first model, juggling the church ball alongside the new family responsibilities becomes impossible. Bob and Mary decide they will have to forget being involved in church activities on anything more than a minimal level for quite some time. So they make a unilateral decision to absent themselves from much of church life. In the alternative model, it is not only Bob and Mary's issue when the babies are born, it is an issue for the whole church. The congregation takes on some of the responsibility because their identity and life is that of persons in community. So perhaps a couple of people go around each early each morning to bathe the baby so Bob and Mary can have time together over breakfast. Or someone offers to take Bob to work for a few months so that on the way Bob can sleep or read his Bible. Or they can pray together because Bob is not getting much chance to do these things at home. Bob and Mary may not be as involved in the church meetings, but they are more involved than ever in the life of the community. All right, that may sound kind of foreign to you, but that sounds something like something you do for a family member, doesn't it? And in that, that's what we keep, we always say we are, but I don't know that we really believe that. That, that That this is our family. Um... That's a very different way of of thinking about life and of thinking about church. Uh, what, what, What our tendency would be and what most churches would do if they tried to address a problem like this, we would say, well, let's start a mile's morning out. And I'm not knocking that. That can be a beautiful thing. We we might do that ourselves one day. I'm just trying to to get you to think about this a little bit. Um, But what's, what's starting... A mom's morning out dependent on. Well, that's dependent more than likely on church staff to run that program. And and what view of church does that perpetuate in my mind? Alright? What does that perpetuate? Church is one more service provider that's helping me to juggle the balls in my life. And what I want to constantly be pushing us toward is that while yeah, we're going to have programs that we do here at Grace. What we ought to be saying to ourselves is what we want more than shared programs is to actually have shared life. To, to figure out ways to do life together. To make sure the programs that we are designing are actually helping us to share life with one another. We're, what we're not trying to do is we're not trying to establish a religious Walmart to compete with all the other religious Walmarts to see who can offer the best religious goods and services. 
we're trying to figure out what life in Christ and with one another actually looks like. One of the ways that we are trying to figure out how to do life together is through our community groups. Uh, And again, we don't want that to have to be to you one more activity for you to be involved in where you get your, you know, you get your Christian information and you say your prayers and then you you go back to to juggling balls. We don't want it to be that to you. Um, We don't want it to be this. And I just want to read this real quick. We've all been there six o'clock on Tuesday evening, sitting in an awkward circle in the living room, trying to think of something clever, but not too revealing to say. Jane starts in with an icebreaker. If you were a piece of fruit, what fruit would you be? All right, you can't wait for this to end. We, all right, we, we don't want that. That's not the model of community group that we're going for. And no, we haven't like suddenly figured out. I'm not about to write a, a book about this. Uh, but, but, but we see community groups as a place for you to plug into the life of other believers, other members of Grace Presbyterian Church. And maybe it will be a sacrifice for you to come, for you to get involved in. But, but, but think of it as a place where I can begin to think of my identity in Christ as not just me, but as us. As this body of believers who are doing life together. Now, uh, you say, alright, well that's, that's good. I'll, I'll think about that. I might do that, I might not do that. But, but really, I can't imagine how I'm going to get more involved with the other people here anyway, out, out, outside of that. All right, let me make a suggestion, and this is, this is about what I said last week, but I'm, I'm repeating it to, to emphasize it. Think about your daily routine, the things that you do every day, walking the dog, uh, going to work, doing chores, all, the, all these things you do every day, playing with the kids, your weekly routines, the, the TV shows you watch each week, the times that you go to the gym, your monthly routines, Go and get a haircut. Uh, go for a hike. Go to a movie. Those things. Now, now, you think about those things, and then ask yourselves, how can I involve another member of Grace Presbyterian Church with me in something I'm already going to do anyway? More specifically, how can I involve a member of the community group I'm involved with, or the prayer triad I'm involved with, or the Bible study I'm involved with? How can I involve one of these people in an activity that I'm already going to do anyway? And so I'm not saying go create something else to do, but think about what you're doing already and ask, how can I bring other people alongside me in that? That may be a text at the last minute, and people may respond and they may not. Or it may take some planning and intentionality. Uh, you, you may say, man, I, I go to the farmer's market every Saturday, and I, we, we do that by ourselves all the time. Why don't I call somebody and see if they want to go along with me and do that? Or maybe you go out to eat once a week as a family. Um, call somebody else and say, hey, do you, you want to go out to eat with us this week? Now, here's where I think this is cool and, and, and kind of exciting. Um, it, it's cool as this relates to our mission as a church, uh, not only is community central to our lives as believers, it's central to the mission God has given us as a church. Look at these last two texts on, on here, and I am going to read these again. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now we tend to think of that, because of our American individualism, we tend to think of that as people see my good deeds. right? And that's, that's true. But it's not just my good deeds, it's our good deeds as a Christian community. As they see us loving one another well. As they see us figuring out how to take care of one another, they will see something different about us. They will see something attractive about us. Something attractive about the way that that we do life together. Do you realize how hope-giving that could be to somebody? He was lonely and isolated and the only connections they really have are, are online connections. Do you, do you realize how, how life-giving that could be for them to see a community filled with love and joy and peace and patience where people care about each other and visit each other when they are sick and, and, and just you know do all this one-anothering stuff? Uh, do you realize how hope-giving it could be for people to, to see a community where people actually love one another? We're not competing with one another. We're not you know, trying to scramble over one another to, to get to the top and, and to make it. But where we're just caring about each other. You know, people stand on the outside and they could see that would, would say, do you, do you mean life could really be like that? Is that really possible? And what we're saying is, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so here's what this means. When, when Jesus says, go and make disciples... He's not just talking to you as a solitary individual. That's like that's not all on you. He's talking to us as the church, as God's people, as a group of believing individuals who are letting our light shine before others. Now, you might be saying, "Okay, glad, thank you. I'm glad it's not all about me." Uh, you know, I'm just glad to know. But if you're paying attention, you ought to be saying, oh, wait a minute. How do we do that? How do, how do we do that? Um, how do we let our light shine before others so that they see our good deeds and, and glorify God? Because what we've been pretty good, the church at large, we've been pretty good at isolating ourselves from other people. And so... How in the world are they going to see our light if they never see us? Um, How are they going to ask us to give a reason for the hope that is within us if they never see us interacting and they never see evidence of that hope? If if there's no us or if they never see us, that's just not going to happen. So the question then becomes... How do we open up the borders of our community to include people who don't look at the world the same way that we do? Instead of like making this fence between us and the world, make this thing porous so that people who, who don't believe are able to come in and out of our community and, and be welcome and accepted and actually see the quality of our life together. Well, how do we do that? Well, 
Let's get back to those three questions, or those three things I asked you to think about a minute ago. What are the things you do every day? What are the things you do every week? What are the things you do every month? Now, think about not just who's a member of my church or who's a member of my community group that I could ask to do those things with me, but who's a neighbor that I could invite to be a a part of that? Or, Or better, what can I invite a member of my community group and a neighbor to be a part of with me? Um, something that I'm already doing. And in, in, from Tim Chester again, clearly not everything you can do can be done with someone else. But this exercise reveals just how many opportunities we do have in everyday life. You might knock on a friend's door as you walk the dog to see if he wants to walk with you. You might offer an elderly neighbor a car ride when you drive to the supermarket. You might meet a member of the Christian community for breakfast one morning each week or agree to ride the same bus. Instead of reading your Christian book in the lunchroom, you might take the opportunity to get to know your colleagues. None of this is adding anything to your schedule. These are all activities in which you are already engaged. One of the things people in my gospel community do, for example, is to watch certain television programs together, such as The Apprentice or Britain's Got Talent. That would be fun. Uh, that are, in any case, best watched with a group. Invite Christians and non-Christians to watch them with you. You're going to be watching the program anyway, so why not watch it with other people, share the experience, and see what opportunities this presents. Leave the house in the evenings. Sounds simple? Yet you know how it is, especially in the winter. It has been a tiring day at work, and it is a dark, cold evening. The easiest thing is to slump in front of the television or surf the internet or play on the Xbox. Get out. It does not matter where you go as long as you go with gospel intentionality. Walk out the door and then decide what to do. Drop by the home of another member of your missional community. Pop around to visit a friend. Take a cake to a neighbor. Attend a local community group. Go to the theater. Hang out in a cafe. Go for a walk with a friend. Um, And basically all that is saying is like live a Christian life. And it's not saying add things, but, but it's saying invite people into your lives that you're living already and, and see what God does with that. Um, Rodney Stark talks about how Christianity spread in the Roman Empire. He said it was a culture in which everybody's only concerned with themselves. It was a culture in which people were tortured and killed in the arena for sport, where people were screaming for blood. And, and he argues that Christianity spread because of the contrast. He said it spread because what it gave to its converts was nothing less than their humanity. What it gave to people was nothing less than their humanity. Like, y'all, when, when we let our light shine before the world, we are pointing people to how they can have eternal life. We are pointing people to how they can know God. But we are also offering people a way to get their humanity back. And that's, that's amazing if you think about it. And we do it by living our normal human lives. But lives that are devoted to God, lives that are devoted to one another, and lives that are devoted to our neighbors. It's, it's really not complicated. It's just that we don't, like, we don't really want to do it. it, it it's hard, isn't it? All right? It, it, it's hard. There's, there's these barriers we, we have to to overcome it 
it takes more intentionality than it might have 150 years ago. So my last thing here, I want to talk about the gospel and community, and then we'll close. Where do we get the desire to desire, right? How can I begin to want gospel community? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, God permits Christians to meet together and gives them community. Their fellowship is founded solely upon Jesus Christ and this alien righteousness. Without Christ, we would not know our brother, nor would we long to know him. The way is blocked by our own ego. So here's here's me and you without the gospel. Without the gospel, because of our sin, we are are starving for significance. We are starving for worth. We're starving to to say, hey, I'm, I'm okay. We're starving for an identity. And so because of that, if we feel like we're doing okay at life, that's going to lead to pride. That's going to lead to overconfidence. That's going to lead to a little too much swagger. Uh, On the other hand, if we feel like we're failing at life, that's going to lead to inferiority. That's going to lead to underconfidence. That's going to lead us to be overly self-deprecating and and beat ourselves up and hate ourselves. And if we're honest, we're, we're a little bit of each, depending on when you... When you catch us. Now, what does that have to do with the way we approach relationships and community? On the one hand, if I'm overconfident, I can tend to avoid people because I don't think I need them. I I can take care of myself. And you are certainly, with all your mess, not worthy of my time. So that's how overconfidence affects our relationships. But if I'm underconfident, I can avoid them too because I'm afraid and I'm intimidated by people and I think people are going to see me for who I really am and they're going to know how screwed up I actually am and how worthless I really am and so because I'm under underconfident I can avoid relationships also so there's this avoidance that we do but then when we do bother to enter into relationships it's often just to build ourselves up and to kind of get that feeling, yeah, I'm, I'm okay and, and people like me. And because I like that and want that so badly, it's hard for me to be transparent. I can't love people well. And my, my ego is always getting in the way of my relationships. So how does the gospel come out of that then? The gospel attacks my pride. It addresses my pride by saying, hey, man, you're, you remember, you are so messed up. That Jesus actually had to come and die for you to make you acceptable. And so the gospel humbles me. It reminds me I'm saved by grace, not by how impressive I am or how impressive my job is or how impressive my life is. It reminds me that that other people are not beneath me. But the the gospel also addresses my fear and my inferiority. And it says, no, you're not. You're made in the image of God. And you are so loved that Jesus willingly came and gave himself for you. And so the gospel then can embolden me if I'm underconfident and encourage me. I'm I'm loved and accepted by God even if my house is not so great and, and it's a wreck and my job is not impressive and I don't have as much money as other people. That's okay. It doesn't matter if you're not impressed with me. I'm loved and accepted by God. And so, if you're tracking with me, what the gospel does is it actually frees me to enter into relationships. Not for what I can get out of them because I'm getting what I need from Jesus. And so now I can freely enter into relationships 
and give to other people as God has given to me. Uh, if you think about it as well, the gospel calls me out of my idolatrous love of comfort and calls me to move into uncomfortable situations as I see the way Jesus became uncomfortable for me. The gospel calls me to, to lose my life for others as I see the way in which Jesus lost his life for me. And so I can begin to, to let go of all these things and move towards other people simply to love them and to serve them. But before you can do that, but before you can even care about battling any of the difficulties that are arrayed against us when we try to form community, you have to believe that God has moved near you. That God has accepted you in the person of Jesus Christ. That he delights in you. That he has forgiven your sins. That he loves you. That, that he has made you a part of his family and that you are a part of his family. The only way that we can move into the difficulty of relationships is if we stop trying to actually draw all of our life from those relationships. And learn to draw our life from the gospel and from Jesus And that enables me and empowers me then to go and spend myself on behalf of others. And that creates community. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would cause something of that to to stick with us. Um, And that we really would believe the gospel in such a way that we are freed up to love others and that we want to want want to love others and would you show us ways to intentionally build community uh, with one another uh, and with our neighbors Um, help us we're not very good at it pray in jesus name amen